Well, for many people, getting to heaven is a little bit like getting to Parramatta Stadium. There are numerous ways of getting there. You can take the M2. You can take the M4. You can take the Great Western Highway. You can take the train. You can even take a river cat. It doesn't matter. In the end, you still end up at the same place, Parramatta Stadium. In our world today, it's estimated that there are well over 20,000 different religions. Together, that means billions of people, each following their own path to some higher power. Billions of people trying to connect with, experience, uh, commune with what they would call God. And each doing it in their own way. Meditation, prayer, self-sacrifice, pilgrimage, self-flagellation, rituals, crystals, mantras, looking within, looking without, filling yourself, emptying yourself, singing, dancing, helping people, and the list goes on and on and on. So what are we to make of these many paths? Well, according to Mahatma Gandhi, religions are just different roads converging to the same point. What does it matter if we take different roads so long as we reach the same goal? According to Canadian Anglican Bishop Michael Ingham, all the great religions are authentic pathways to God. Television queen Oprah Winfrey agrees and responding to some Christians in her audience, she said this as she promoted a book about one woman's spiritual journey. She said, there are many ways, many paths to what you call God. Her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity if it brings her to the same point it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she calls it God along the way or not. There can't possibly be just one way. And so you see, for Oprah, what really matters is having a sincere, kind and loving heart. And there is something really quite appealing about all this, isn't there? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know lots of lovely, kind, devout people People who are just doing their own sincere thing to try and connect with God. So maybe, just maybe, this is something that we ought to celebrate. Well, today we're going to turn our attention to 1 Chronicles once again. And today we're going to be given God's perspective on the sincere attempts of people to connect with him. If you don't already have your Bible open at 1 Chronicles chapter 13, can I encourage you to grab a Bible now? Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. It's page 316 of the small print, 646 of the large print Bibles. And as we reach this 13th chapter of 1 Chronicles, things are pretty good for David and Israel. You might remember that David is now surrounded by his mighty men. Uh, He's been made king, and it seems like all of Israel are fully behind him. And so now, as king, David decides to do something good. What he wants to do is he wants to move the Ark of the Covenant to be with him in Jerusalem. That is, he wants to move the Ark of God. Now, you may remember 
that this was the ark that God had commanded Moses to make. We don't really know what it looks like in all of its details, but we do know some, some things. And here is an artist's impression of what it might have looked like. It was a wooden box covered in gold and it contained certain important objects like, uh, like the Ten Commandments. But what was really important about the ark is what it symbolised. It symbolised the presence of God. The ark, you see, was essentially God's earthly throne. So to be near the ark was to be near God. Well, sadly, the ark had been neglected during the reign of King Saul. But now David decides to put things right. And all of the Israelites agree with him to bring up the ark of God into the nation's capital, Jerusalem. To there have God live at the centre of the nation. When the day comes to move the ark, all of Israel come out for this significant event. And all the people are filled with joy and they celebrate with all their hearts at the thought that now God is going to dwell with them. There's people singing, there's people playing harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets and it's also very, very exciting. They even build a new cart on which to transport the ark. See, they don't want to put the ark, the ark of God, onto some dirty old second-hand cart. No, how disrespectful. So they build a new one. And then they start with the, the ark on the cart, they start on their way, up to Jerusalem. But then as they travel along, along the, the oxen pulling the cart stumble and it looks for a moment as if the ark of God is going to topple to the ground. But no worries, David is prepared for this. He's made sure that two guys are in charge of guiding the cart. And so one of them, Uzzah, he puts out his hand to steady the ark. But as he does... Why don't you read this story with me from 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all the Israelites with him went to Balar of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. 
And with that, proceedings stop. The celebrating stops. The singing stops. Those playing their instruments, they stop. But suddenly everyone realises that God is actually furious with what is going on here. And as they realise that they are all just a whisker away from being totally destroyed by God. When David sees what's happened to Uzzah, he is totally terrified and wonders what went wrong. I mean, it all seemed so right. Everyone there that day sincerely wanted to please God. Everyone there that day did their job with such passion, such devotion. And so now David wonders how he could ever bring the ark of God to be with him in Jerusalem. It makes him angry and it makes him frustrated. But he's also terrified. And he decides, quick, get this ark out of here. Get this ark away from us before something, before we all get struck down. And so he sends it off to be looked after by a man named Obed-Edom, with whom the ark stays for three months, during which time the Lord abundantly blesses Obed-Edom and his family. Read with me from chapter 13, verse 11. 13, 11. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So the ark goes to be with Obed-Edom. And while the ark is there, well, God blesses him and his family. But in fact, God continued to bless David too. Because David, we're told, now goes on to, to build his palace there in Jerusalem. And we're told that there he has lots of uh, kids. He has a big old family. So it's a sign that God is still blessing David, that he is still on David's side. And that he still wants him to be king. Not that everybody's happy with that fact. No, when uh, the neighbouring enemy Philistines hear that David is now king of Israel, well, they decide that, well, this is now their opportunity to wipe out the Israelites. And so they come out in full force to try and take David down. When David hears that the Philistines are coming, well, he goes out to meet them. And then he sees that the Philistines have taken control of the valley of Rephaim. Now, that's only about five kilometres away from Jerusalem, so this is a bit of a worry. But it's now that David does something very interesting and something very significant in the course of today's passage. What does he do? Well, he goes and he inquires of God. He goes and he asks God for some advice. What shall I do, he asks God. Should we go and attack the Philistines or not? If we do go... Will you be on our side? Will you help us? The details of exactly how David inquired of God, we don't know. But the important thing is here, he, he asks God and somehow God answers him. Yes, go and attack the Philistines and yes, I will give you the victory. And so David 
obeys God. He goes and he attacks the Philistines and sure enough, God helped him win the battle. Read with me from chapter 14, verse 8. Chapter 14, verse 8. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of God, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, Go, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went up to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal-perazim. After a little while, after this first victory, well, the uh, Philistines regrouped and, and they returned to the valley of Rephaim a second time. But this time, once again, David goes and he inquires of God. Again, God tells him to go and attack the Philistines. Once again, David obeys God and once again, he wins the battle. But these two episodes with the Philistines, they seem to have had uh, been a significant lesson for David. Because you see, through them, it seems that David has now learnt that when you listen to God and do things his way, well, it's then that he blesses you. It's then that he gives you the victory. And so apparently it got David thinking about that whole episode with the ark of God, the episode that ended so badly. It seems that now David knew the answer to that question that he had. Do you remember his question? How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Well, it seems now he knows the answer. It would be by listening to God and doing it his way. And how would he inquire of the Lord? Well, this time it's obvious. Because you see, God had already spoken and given instructions on the moving of the ark. They were the instructions that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. And so now what David needs to do is he needs to go back. He needs to read the law of Moses once again. He needs to listen to what God has said there and he needs to obey him. That's how he could safely bring the ark to Jerusalem. What instructions am I talking about from the law of Moses? Well, instructions like this one. From Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, where we read, After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come and do the carrying, but they must not touch the holy things, or they will die. See, what do we learn? You must never touch the holy things. God had said that in his law. So Uzzah should never have touched the ark, regardless of his good intentions. Or this one, Numbers chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, Moses did not give any oxen and carts to the Kohathites because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. What do we learn? God had clearly said that the ark was not to be moved on top of a cart. It was to be carried with poles on shoulders. 
So David should never have put that ark on the cart, regardless of whether it was a new cart or not. Or this one from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, where it says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name. What do we learn? Well, people ministering before the ark, they have to be Levites. In other words, all the the singers and the harp players and the lyre players and the tambourine players, they've got to be from the tribe of Levi. Now, in the first episode, it seems like just about anyone's picking up these instruments and, and playing them. It should never have been, regardless of the fact that they were doing it with all their hearts. didn't matter. You see, this is God's way. And now David knows that this is how God will come to live with him. Read with me from 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1. 15, 1. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David... He prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. Why? Because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. See, see now David's got it. He knows he has to do it God's way. And then again, in, in chapter 15 from verse 12, verse 12, David said to them, You are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. And so now David and all the people They've all learnt their lesson. And now they go about moving the ark of God, God's way. From verse 14, 14. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. See, not not a single ox in sight. No carts here. And this time only the Levites are singing and playing their instruments around the ark. Verse 16. Verse 16. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps and cymbals. And then we're given a whole bunch of names after that to show that it really was only the Levites doing the work here. Not that the rest of Israel wasn't involved in bringing up the ark. No, they were there, shouting and dancing and celebrating. They were involved, but they were involved in appropriate ways. And it seems like it was such a a joyful occasion for all of Israel. And why not? I mean, in the end, the ark is brought to Jerusalem. Now God is is living with his people. And so in the name of the Lord, David blesses all the Israelites. Read with me from chapter 16, verse 1. 16, 1. 
They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And after that, there's some presents handed out to all the Israelites, along with some instructions on how the ark was now to be cared for. And with that, the passage ends. By the end of it, David has learned his lesson well and truly, hasn't he? That no amount of sincerity, no amount of good intentions could ever take the place of doing things God's way. That's how these people would be able to have God live among them. Well, I guess the next question that we need to ask is, is what would all of this have meant for the original readers of 1 Chronicles? Because, I mean, don't forget that this book of 1 Chronicles was compiled some 600 years after the events of David, compiled around, what, 400 BC. So what would it have meant for them? Well, I dare say the lesson that the original readers of 1 Chronicles was to learn was exactly the same lesson that David learned. That is to say that if they wanted to experience God and his blessings, if they wanted to commune with him, connect with him, live with him, then they too were going to have to do it God's way. And for these original readers, after years of exile in Babylon, that would mean that now they would have to go back and, and read again the law of Moses and listen again to what God was saying to them then, there. And then they would obey it. They were to go out and do it. It was not to be a matter of sincerity alone or good intentions alone. No, it was to be a matter of doing it God's way. That was the lesson that David learned. That was the lesson that the original readers were to learn. And I dare say it's the same lesson that you and I need to learn here today too. The lesson that if we are ever going to have a relationship with God, then we are going to have to do it his way and on his terms. And so, I hope you've got your passport in order. Because it looks like off to Jerusalem we go. That's where we will dwell with God, surely. And I hope that once we get there, I hope you're ready for, to roll up your sleeves and get on with a bit of hard work because I, I think we're going to have to be building a, a temple or at least a tent on, on top of Mount Zion, which is a bit of a worry considering there's currently a mosque there. I'm not sure how happy the uh, keepers of the mosque are going to be when we come in and try and build our temple or tent. And when we get there, don't forget that we've got to make sure that we find some Levites, Levites only, to, to make sure they carry the ark, which is a bit of a double worry, really, when you can think about it, because um, well, nobody knows who the Levites are anymore. Genealogies were lost a long time ago. And, and well, in terms of the ark, well, has anybody seen it? Anybody here seen it? Nobody's seen it for two and a half thousand years probably destroyed during the Babylonian invasion. Hmm, it's all a bit of a worry, isn't it? 
if we are going to have a relationship with God? Well, thankfully, it's not a worry at all. Because you see, according to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the the ark of God and all the the rules that surrounded it, they were actually just a, a shadow, a symbol of the true way to connect with God. A way that was yet to be revealed. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8, we read this. We read that the Holy Spirit was showing by the ark and all its regulations that the way into the most holy place, the presence of God, had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle tent was still standing. In other words... The ark and and all its regulations were just a a shadow of, of some reality that was yet to come. And what is that reality? Well, according to Hebrews, the reality is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one whose death on the cross means that we can now have our sins washed away once and for all. So that now when we put our trust in him... We can freely come into the presence of God himself. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, Jesus is the reality of the the shadowy symbols that we see in the ark of God, which means that Jesus is the way that we now experience God, connect with God, commune with him. And there is no other way. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, there is only one way to connect with God. And it's not through meditation, prayer, self-sacrifice, pilgrimage, rituals, uh, crystals, mantras, or anything else like this. No, it's through Jesus Christ alone. None of these other things can bring us to God. And anyone who attempts to reach God on those terms will surely be struck down. Just like Uzzah was struck down. Surely they will be struck down. Not necessarily immediately, but certainly on Judgment Day. And on that day, sincerity and good intentions won't matter one iota. Friends, there are a lot of voices out there. Voices like Gandhi and Bishop Ingham, Oprah Winfrey and many others like them. And if we were to listen to their voices and accept what they are to say, then we ought to accept and even celebrate all these different paths. But friends, that would be to accept and celebrate people going to hell. And we can't do that. Can we? No. 
We can't do that. So what must we do? Well, what have we been learning in Bible study recently? We have to just start talking. We have to open up our mouths and we have to just start talking about Jesus. Telling people that Jesus really is the only way, the one and only way to have relationship with God. Yes, we have to open up our mouths and just start talking about Jesus. Friend, who is it that you need to just start talking about Jesus with? Who is it that God is putting on your heart here this morning? In less than a week, we're going to have one of our major evangelistic events for the year, Soup, Jazz and Jesus. Let me be very clear. You don't need Soup, Jazz and Jesus in order to tell your friends about Jesus. But what a wonderful opportunity you have. A wonderful opportunity to bring them along, to introduce them to the right path, to God's path. On the night, I'm going to give a clear, simple talk explaining who Jesus is, explaining what he's done and explaining why we need him so very much. Friend, can I encourage you to think hard and pray hard about who it is that you might invite? Then can I encourage you to go out there and do it? Invite them along and invite them along in the knowledge that, well, they may well be truly grateful that you did. Friends, there are lots of voices out there telling people that there are many ways to God. You know the truth. So let's do something about it, shall we? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us a way to be with you. Thank you. Thank you that you've given us a way for us to experience your blessing in our lives, to know you, to be with you. Thank you that you've given us Jesus. Thank you that because he has died for us, we can have our sins washed away and and be in relationship with you forever. Father, we grieve that many in our world so sincerely wish to connect with you and yet do it in in their own way. Father, have mercy on them, we pray. Lord, please keep us from buying the lie that what really matters is sincerity or good intentions and and use us to speak the truth to as many people as we can. Lord, we particularly pray for Soup, Jazz and Jesus next Saturday. Father, we pray that we might be bold in inviting along friends and we pray that on that night many might come to put their trust in Jesus in the knowledge that he is the only way to you. Amen.